0: Topics that you can uh, get up and preach about uh, that you know uh, are going to kind of give people a lot of joy to hear and a lot of comfort to hear. Uh, You know, topics like heaven. Uh, I I remember uh, several years ago, now we we did a heaven series, and man, it was just very, very popular, Uh, really fun series. At the end of it, we actually did a question and answer time uh, where people could ask questions about heaven, and uh, we got overwhelming response with lots of people had lots of questions about heaven, and there are those kind of rah-rah moments. And then there are these topics that um, we preachers get to preach on where the air gets sucked out of the room, Um, topics like money right? As soon as you get, hey, today we're talking about money and no one's hearing another word I say, right? Um, it's one of those things. Or uh, the last 10 years in our culture, uh, submission to authority is is one of those topics where when I get up and talk through kind of submission to authority, the, the air kind of goes out of the room. And then the third one is what Jesus says today. And so I want to take a minute before we get started, uh, to remind you about what we talked about at the beginning of this series, about Jesus challenges us to hear his words and put them into practice. And so some of you, depending on what's going on in your life, um, I, I know that I'm, I know I have a little bit of a scalpel today, right? And um, through the words of Jesus, we're gonna uh, maybe do a little bit of cutting ar- around your heart. And uh, it's gonna, some of you are gonna be tempted to shut down, but I just wanna assure you that Jesus does come at this topic today, Uh, with a scalpel's scalpels knife uh, that is meant to heal you, uh, not a knife that is meant to hurt you. And so we want to kind of just hear what he has to say and uh, listen and and put it into practice, all right? So let's pray together, and how's that for an intro, all right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for today, and we thank you for what you're going to teach us this morning. Uh, May we uh, hear your words and put them into practice um, each and every day. We thank you for Jesus. Uh, We thank you for his words. It's in his name we pray. Amen. A man uh, had a really uh, bad interaction with his boss who he actually hated. And he was out kind of walking along the the beach one day. I threw in the beach part because I thought that would be nice to hear uh, after the last week. Um, And uh, so he saw this kind of old lamp and he out of anger, frustration with his boss. He he kicks the lamp and um, just really ticked off. And all of a sudden a genie kind of comes out of the lamp. And the genie says, listen, even though you just kicked the lamp, I'm going to give you three wishes, but because of what you did, because you lost your temper, because you were angry, uh, I'm going to give double whatever you ask to the man you hate most, your boss. So he said, go, go ahead and use your wishes appropriately. And he said, well, my first wish is, I, I wish I had a ton of money. And so instantly, $22 million appeared in the man's account, $44 million appeared into his boss's account, the man he hated most. And the man said, well for my second wish, I've always wished I had uh, sports cars. I love sports cars. And uh, instantly, Lamborghini, Ferrari, Porsche appeared. And uh, over at his boss's house, two of each car uh, appeared. And the genie said, all right, this is your last wish. Choose carefully. And the man said, I've always wanted to donate a kidney. (laughs) All right. So, um, all right some of you are going to get that like on the ride home. All right. And that's, that's okay. That's totally fine. All right. Open up your Bibles to Matthew five. All right. Matthew, Matthew chapter five. All right. Um, and I want to start out with this truth. Cause I think this is really important to understanding any of the words of Jesus. You are saved by grace. You absolutely are saved by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, but Jesus cares about your heart. He does. He cares about your heart. You're saved by grace, but he cares about your heart. And for the next several passages of scripture, Jesus is going to poke and prod around our hearts a little bit because he he loves us and he's concerned about our heart. And today he is going to talk about the heart matter of anger, um, the heart matter of resentment. And we all know uh, we all If we went around the room, we'd have probably 150 stories that we could share about people that did dangerous and silly things when they were angry, right? I've seen people in anger uh, quit a job with absolutely no backup plan at all. I've seen people blow up, by and large, really healthy relationships because they couldn't keep their cool. I've seen people go to jail over over this issue because they couldn't keep their temper in check. I've seen people blow up a, a church because they got really angry about something And Jesus is going to teach us this morning about some of the far-reaching consequences of anger uh, and how we can keep this uh, better under control, all right? So Matthew 5, starting in verse 21, all right? Um, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who smirters will be subject to judgment. Good rule, right? But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, Uh, But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift, all right? Let's start out this morning by, by kind of covering what Jesus is not saying in this text, all right? What Jesus is not saying in this text is that all anger is bad and all anger is wrong. As a matter of fact, I believe that anger is a God-given emotion uh, that comes to the surface as the result of injustice, wrongs committed against us or, or others, things that are going on in the world, that God gave us the emotion of anger. And you can see God get angry in the Bible right, when his people are abused or mistreated or uh, innocents come to to demise because of the inappropriate actions of somebody. Sometimes it's appropriate to get angry. Now, there are two, uh, a couple different Greek words when it comes to anger. The type of anger I just described is the Greek word thumos, and it describes, I'll put it on the screen for you, it describes an anger that rises up quickly and is addressed and put out quickly, all right, so this is like what you would call like a righteous anger, Right, When you see an injustice, when you see a wrong, it rises up quickly and it's put out quickly. You see this in the example of Jesus when he drives out the money changers uh, in, in the New Testament, that he goes, and a lot of people forget about that story, that he, he sees people being mistreated, they're being overcharged for their temple sacrifice, is in short what is being done. He gets angry, this is wrong, this is not right. He drives the money changers out, and people forget that the very next verse, Jesus is there, loving and serving the very people that were mistreated. So it rises up quickly, and it's addressed and put out quickly. The word anger in the text I just read to you is orgē, and it describes the anger of a person who nurses their wrath to keep it wrong, uh, to, to keep it warm. Right? They brood over the wrong done to them a long time. They will not allow it to die. All right? So this is a different type of anger that Jesus is describing in Matthew This is not a righteous anger This is an anger that I nurse This is an anger that I encourage This is an anger that I want to keep warm This is the person that brings it up regularly in conversation When you weren't even talking about it Right? They just find ways to bring it up Uh, They avoid at all costs the relationship with the person that they're mad at. They fire up about the incident with little or no provocation. So, you know, you're out grocery shopping, and all of a sudden they fire up about it. You're like, I didn't ask, (laughs) right? You, you You just brought that up because you are nursing this wrath, and you are keeping it warm. And Jesus is gonna teach us here how to diagnose this type of anger. And um, one of the best ways to diagnose this type of anger are the words we use to the people that we're angry at, the way that we treat the people that we're uh, angry with. And Jesus gives two examples. The first one is he said, the man who, who calls uh, the, the person Raka, Raka, right? I can't quite get the, I'm scared to get the phlegmy part of that going, right? You're supposed to, Raka, right? Um, Raka was an insult in the first century that was meant to convey contempt, right? So Raka, the, the best way I can describe it, one of the best ways I can describe it is it's how we would uh, treat somebody today that like you don't even wanna mention their name, right? You, you are so angry with them, it's like, not nah, Raka. You know, I'm not, I'm not even gonna dignify them with their name, right? And it, it's that sort of thing. In our modern day, uh, in our mo- modern day vernacular, it would be like, uh, you are a brainless idiot. You are dumb. It is an insult, all right? Um, it, it is a word for one that despises, despises another and brings insult. It is an insult, all right? So I found this story in the first century about uh, this rabbi named Simon Ben Eleazar. And he was leaving his teacher's house, and uh, Simon had left that house and he was, uh, had just spent this time with his mentor studying the Bible and he was feeling very arrogant about his own intelligence, very arrogant about his own standing and his own reputation in the community. And he comes across this man that had a poor reputation in the community. Simon uh, couldn't stand this guy, didn't like him at, at all. And um, when he was passing the, the man, the man said hi. To Simon, and Sam, Simon turned to him and said, Raka, Raka, right? I'm not even going to dignify you by, by calling you your name. And then he followed it up with this to give you an idea of what this word is like. He said, how ugly you are. Are all the people in your town as ugly as you are? Right? This is an actual story that, that was told in the first century. And the story that goes that the man replied, well, I don't know. Uh, why don't you go to the maker that you worship and who created me and ask him how ugly he thinks I am, right? And rock, this is what raka is, Right, It is uh, being angry at someone and hurling insults at them. You're stupid. You're an idiot. I hate you. Raka, raka, right? That, that's how this was used. And Jesus says that these people are answerable to the court. They're answerable to the Sanhedrin. And and what he's describing, he's a little bit tongue-in-cheek here uh, in some ways, although you really weren't supposed to use raka towards other people. But what he's saying is that if the people in your life brought you into a court of law and there were testimonies given in the court of law, would you be found guilty of raka? That's what Jesus is asking us to examine in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way. Would you be found guilty of being angry and hurling insults and being mean? And I think this is significant because those of us, uh, those that maybe struggle with anger, sometimes angry people justify the things that they say to others. And they say things like, well, the people in my life, they just know how to push my buttons Or they hurt me first, or I was just blowing off steam, or they know I didn't mean it. And if we're honest, those are just excuses. One of the greatest things that some of us could do today is we could come to this conclusion that if my family brought me into the court of law, in a court of law, and they testified, the greatest thing some of us could say today is, I'm guilty. Uh, When I get angry, I get insulting, When I get angry and lose my temper, I tend to insult the people around me. I'm guilty of being angry in this way, of of being kind of verbally mean. I'm guilty of raka. And here's why this is so important. It sounds kind of trite, but I don't think it's trite at all. Acknowledgement, I really believe this is the first step to healing. And I find this very difficult with very angry people. Is they don't want to acknowledge that they're angry. They don't want to acknowledge that they tend to insult when they get angry. And I'll tell you, one of my concerns is social media has made this super easy, right? Social media has made it super easy to fall into raka, to fall into insults as soon as we feel angry or as as soon as... Um, as soon as uh, we, we feel insulted, uh, social media makes it so easy to just fire off an insult. And I, I was going to give a few examples today, uh, but I decided I wanted to keep my job. So I decided not to do that instead, right? Of just in the last week of just some social media stuff that I've seen uh, of people that are being, uh, that, that, that fire off an insult because they're angry, and I think one of the first things we can do is acknowledge that. But Jesus goes on, says there's Raqqa, and then he goes on in verse 23 to describe the person who says, uh, you fool. Now, I remember um, growing up in uh, Sunday school class, uh, wh- about that same age, one of my favorite shows to watch, it was one of the, uh, one shows that I did watch was uh, the A-Team. Um, I-, I love that show, and I remember this uh, well-meaning Sunday school, teacher one- Sunday school teacher one time saying, you really shouldn't watch that show. I said, what do you mean I should, I love that show. He says, well, Mr. T in that show says, I pity the fool. And you, you, really, you really shouldn't subject, Jesus says you shouldn't call anyone a, a fool. And I appreciate the sentiment, but that's not exactly what Jesus was trying to teach. He wasn't exactly teaching against Mr. T, right? Um, <laughs> the word fool in this text is the Greek word uh, morose. Uh, it is where we get our English word moron and our English word morals, so this is a word, this full word that Jesus uses here, it is to call someone a name based on a moral choice they have made, All right? So, so it is to see someone make a moral choice or, or a choice in general, and it is to identify them by the choice they have made, All right? So, um, you know, some of you may remember this sort of thing in high school, you know, a girl uh, slept with a, a couple guys, all of a sudden she is identified now as easy, all right? Or uh, somebody uh, gets caught in a couple lies, all of a sudden they are identified as a liar, right? Um, somebody splits from their spouse, they, they separate, now they are divorced. Somebody has an addiction, they are identified by the addiction they hold. And it describes a person, this, Jesus is describing a person who gets angry and one of the ways they vent off their anger is they begin to identify you by the mistakes that you have made. And, and they'll, they'll use this as fighting uh, leverage in a relational war. And this is where we, like I said, this is where we get our word moron from, right? It, it, is, it is to insult someone by saying, you are a moron. You are the sum total of the mistakes you have made, and I'm going to make sure you remember that. Uh, always. I'm going to make sure you are identified by your bad choice. And so Jesus says there are dangers with this type of anger that get very insulting, that get very mean, right? And I don't think there's any more relevant sermon that I could give right now in our culture than this one, right? Our culture struggles with this, right? They, they really do, that we get mean with our words when we get angry. We're supposed to be this very civil, nice culture. I'm missing it. I'm sorry, I'm missing it right? Um, I I see that that we tend to be very mean, and we tend to be very cutting with with others, and so Jesus is going to point out to us that there are some dangers that come with nursing this type of anger that gets very verbal and very much name-calling and and, uh, degrades in that way, and the first one I'll put on the screen for you is the identity danger. Genesis 1, uh, the very first chapter of the Bible, God wants to make sure you understand where your identity comes from, that God creates the first man and the first woman, and we are told in the scripture that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is God's way of saying in Genesis chapter one, you are my loved and my created child. You have my DNA, God says, running through your veins. You are God's son. You are God's daughter. That is your identity. And so when somebody in your life refers to you as an idiot, you have to remind yourself, you are not an idiot. You are a son or daughter of God. You are not a moron. You are not the sum total of the mistakes you have made. You are an image bearer of the king. that, That is your value as a person. And Jesus will reaffirm this several thousand years later when he will see that our sin was separating us from God, and he will go to a cross, and he will pay for our sins so that we can know God in this life and in in the next, and that is part of our identity. We are created by God. God sent his son Jesus to die for us. We are his sons. We are his daughters. That is who we are. You are not a liar. That is not your identity, in Christ that is not your identity. You are not a, a liar. You you are your identity is not identified by your sin. Your identity your identity is identified by Jesus Christ. So you may have gotten a divorce but you are not a divorced person, right? That's not your identity. You are set free from that by the blood of Jesus. You are not the sum total of your sins. You're not because Jesus died on the cross for every one of your sins. Your identity is in Christ Jesus. And here's what I want you to see what Jesus is saying. The damaging part of this type of anger and all of this junk that goes on in social media that I see every day, the damaging part of this is it chips away at your identity in God. It chips away at your identity in Christ. God is trying to get you to see as his image bearer. Facebook wants you to believe you're an idiot. Jesus is trying to get you to see that you're forgiven. Your mom keeps bringing up your past mistakes. God wants you to see that you are his son and his daughter, but that person in your life, they just keep hurling insults at you that make you feel less than. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Right, Because you are still walking around with things that were said to you 5, 10, 15 years ago. And it is still implanted right here. Every time you try to make a decision, every time you try to live your life, you hear this person's voice saying, no, you are this. No, you are that. No, you are the other thing. And today I want to remind you of who you are. That you are an image bearer of God. That Jesus Christ died for you to set you free from your sin. You are not who they say you are. You are his. And today I think somebody in this room needs to be reminded of that. Cuz here's why this is so important. Let me put this on the screen for you. We operate out of our identity. We do. We make decisions out of our identity. This is why these types of words are so spoken to, are, are so important. I remember uh, a young preacher um a young as a young preacher, just 20 early early 20s. I remember I was preaching a sermon and somebody that I really love and care about and respect right after the sermon, they came up, right? And I'm very, very nervous preaching and all of that stuff. And right after I said, I don't think there was enough humor in that. That wasn't very funny about my sermon. I am 43 years old now. And every time I write a sermon, I hear this person's voice. And I think to myself, is this funny enough? Are people going to laugh? Are they going to like it? 43 years old, and that person's voice is still rattling around in in, in my head, and that's a silly example. Some of you are making decisions based on angry words that have been spoken to you. Your dad said you were an idiot, and every time you go to make a decision, you hear that voice in your head, and it robs you of confidence, Your classmate said you were easy and ever since then your relationships with men have been shaped and affected by those words and you can't seem to get any relationship going. Your teacher said you would never amount to anything and every time you feel God calling you to step out, you hear that voice in your head and it robs you of initiative. And you are here and you are reeling from this sort of verbal abuse. And today I want you to know you are a blessed child of God. You are a blessed child of God. In Christ Jesus, you are. You are not who they said you were. You are a blessed child of God, and I wonder what would happen if we began to, to the best of our ability, set those words aside and allow some new words to be spoken to us. Not words spoken during a fight or words in a heated argument, but words spoken in truth. Here's my question, what would happen if you believed what God said about you? That you have incredible value that he has a plan and a purpose for your life that is amazing, that you are his child and you surely have made sins and you'll surely have more sins, but you are not identified by those sins. You are forgiven and set free that you are his. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? If all of us could begin to set those words aside and allow our heavenly father to speak truth to us, wouldn't it fill you up with confidence? Wouldn't it free you from crippling effects of guilt? wouldn't it allow you to stop being defined by the people around you. I believe that one change, that one change in our life to say, man, I'm no longer listening to Raka. I'm no longer listening to you fool. I've listened to that voice enough. I am going to listen to my heavenly father. I'm gonna to listen to my savior and allow him to define me. I think that one change would make a huge difference in our lives. For, for some of you, I wanna kind of shift who I'm talking to. I'm talking, first, I talked to people that were being affected by this. For some of you, Um, You're doing damage with your words. You're shaping people's identity with your words. You're chipping away at their identity in Christ. You're giving them a new identity that is less than. And I want to ask you to stop. Would you measure your words before you release them? Would you measure them before you release them? That 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 would you would you consider what you're saying? And especially online, this is so easy to do. It is so you're an idiot. You're a moron. How could you believe that? How could you vote for him? How could you vote for her? You're you're you're, a, you're, you're an idiot. It's so easy to do this. We all see it every day. And for those of us that are followers of Christ Jesus, I want to ask us to choose new words. Words that build up. And listen, if this is kind of probing away a little bit, you're like, man, I think I've done some of this. I think I've done some of this. You know the greatest thing you can do? My mom taught me this. Really great advice. I've never forgotten it. Two words I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know how far that goes? I'm sorry. I remember saying this to you when you were a little kid. Or I remember saying this to you around the water cooler. I I called you dumb or a moron or an idiot or a loser. And and I was wrong. And I want you to know that I am seeing in you what your heavenly father sees in you. You are his child. You are forgiven by him. And I am sorry for the words I have used. I think it would go a long way. And then to begin to choose new words. Words that edify. Words that build up. So Jesus says there's an, an identity danger here. right? Jesus also says there is a physical danger here, right? Um, That there is a physical danger here. He says in verse 22, anyone who says you fool is in danger of the fire of hell, right? Let's stop there, all all right? I think we need to talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about what he's not saying, all right? He's not saying that if you have a hard time forgiving someone, and I think one of the greatest challenges that we have as Christ followers is to forgive, It is hard to forgive, it just is. And so he's not saying if you're finding it challenging to forgive someone or not being angry anymore or you still sometimes lose your cool, what this verse is not saying is you're going to hell. He's talking about a person that is consistently and constantly uh, struggling with their anger. He says there are a couple dangers that come with anger and the first one is physical. This uh, word that translated hell, um, the Greek word for it is Gehenna, And a lot of people um, may not realize this, but Gehenna in the first century was actually a physical place. We automatically assume he's talking about eternal destination, and sometimes he is. But Gehenna was a physical place uh, to the south of Jerusalem. And you know what it was? It was a trash dump people would go there and burn their trash. Sometimes they would cremate bodies. Gehenna smelled terribly. There was always a fire burning there and there were infectious diseases there. And when Jesus talks about the physical danger of anger, is, here's what he means. Some of you, because of your anger, some of you have, are choosing to live in a trash heap. You're choosing to live in Gehenna because of your anger, that this anger is impacting your life on earth. That earth is supposed to be this beautiful and incredible place, and you are choosing instead to pop up your tent in Gehenna, right? And it's affecting your relationships, affecting your work. And you know what else it's affecting? A lot of people don't know this. It's actually affecting your physical health, your literal physical health. Let me put this on the screen for you. This is from WebMD, so we can have absolute confidence in it. All right, um, the, the constant flood of stress chemicals associated uh, metabolic changes that go with recurrent, unmanaged anger uh, can eventually cause harm to many different systems of the body. Some of the short and long-term health problems have been linked to, that have been unlinked to unmanaged anger include headache, digestive problems, such as abdominal pain, insomnia, Increased anxiety, high blood pressure, skin problems, heart attack, and stroke. All right. So Jesus isn't just trying to address a spiritual situation here. He's trying to save your life and clear up your skin, right? Uh, right? And, and help you digestively, right? No, he, he's, he, he's trying to save your life. There is a real physical danger that comes with uncontrolled anger, right? Um, and But there is, to be sure, there is a spiritual danger. So there's an identity uh, danger, there's a physical danger, and uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't say there was obviously um, a spiritual danger as well. When he talks about the dangers of the fire of hell, the word danger is really, really interesting. It carries with it the idea of servant language and slave language. It could be translated just as easily, bound to. So one of the images of Christianity uh, that Paul loves to use is that we are uh, bound to Christ, that he is our master, that we are his slaves, and he is a good master. He leads us to life and joy and hope and, and peace. And so here's the danger, that the spiritual danger uh, that, that Jesus is referring to, is that it is possible, it is, I've seen this happen, it is possible for anger to replace Christ as your master. It is. It is possible for anger to replace Christ. We often think about, in terms of replacing Christ, we often talk about money in that way, that the number one thing uh, in competition with God for your heart is money. And that's absolutely true. Jesus teaches us that. But anger wants to be your Lord as well. And anger is a terrible master. Anger is a terrible master. And this is the spiritual danger Jesus is referring to here. Anger as a master, anger is never going to lead you to life. Anger will lead you to physical problems, relational problems, and spiritual problems. So let me give you a couple questions here that I want to just work through you, uh, work through with you, about is anger taking hold as a master? All right. Here's question number one. Do you believe it's your right to name call and redefine people as less than when you're angry? Does it often turn profane? So you believe it is your right to redefine someone's identity because you're mad at them. That you will pull out some of the greatest mistakes that they've made, some of the sins they've committed, and you will reshape their identity with that sin. Right, do you do that? And if so, if that's a regular occurrence in your life that you believe it's your right to name call and redefine people, anger might be controlling you. Question two, do I resent Jesus' teaching on the forgiveness of my enemies? And believe me, I've been preaching on this subject long enough. I know people do, right? We don't feel comfortable saying that out loud. But I, I've had enough conversations about this to know, do I resent Jesus' teaching on forgiveness of my enemies? All right, number three. Have I given up that I could ever forgive this person? Like, just never gonna happen. It's, it's, it's done, it's over. I, I'll, I'll never forgive them. Last one. Do I secretly enjoy being angry, right? Do I secretly enjoy? Jesus one time went to heal somebody by a pool and he asked the the person a really provocative question and before he healed them, he said, do you want to get well? And We're like, well, duh, yes, right? They have this disease. Well, yes, Jesus, they do want to get well and Jesus teaches us a a very important lesson. No, not everyone does want to get well. That's an absolute lie. They, they don't all want to get well, and that's very true in this area of anger. Um, some people have grown comfortable in Gehenna, and they've been living there for so long, they've become comfortable with it. And the people in their life are all like, this place stinks. You know that, right? right? People are burning bodies here. It smells like trash. This place stinks. You get there, and they're like, well, it's sunny in the summer. It's not bad in the winter, you're like, no, it's Gehenna. It's awful. Move out of there. Like, That's not too bad, right? So some people genuinely have gotten comfortable living in Gehenna. They hang on to this anger. They marinate in it. They want to live in it. So they never open up to what God wants to do. And say, so what do we do? All right? Assuming we're not like that, you know, people are just like, hey, it's really not that bad in here. You're like, there is a body burning right there. Right? It's yeah, yeah, you know, potato, potato. No. It smells, right? It's awful. Eh, It's not that bad, right? Assuming we're not kind of crazy like that, right? Um, Here is Jesus's uh, advice that he wants us to grab onto. What do we do? We strive. We strive after reconciliation. Uh, we, We strive after peacemaking. We strive after joy. Here is Jesus's advice. Refuse to give up. Refuse to give in. Refuse to throw in the towel. That is the difference between someone in danger of living in Gehenna the rest of their life and somebody who's just struggling to forgive. We all struggle to forgive, guys. We all do. It is hard to forgive. It is one of Jesus's biggest asks of us. Uh, one of his biggest. It's one of the most challenging things Jesus asks us to do is forgive. It's hard, but the difference between someone that's going to live in Gehenna the rest of their life, and someone that's just struggling right now to forgive, is this idea. It is one has given in. One has given in. One has given up. And one refuses to give up. Like, I am not giving up on grace. I am not giving up on reconciliation. I am not giving up on peacemaking. And the desire of their heart The desire of their soul is that Jesus would change and transform whatever this Gehenna situation is. So he calls us to strive after reconciliation, to strive after grace, to strive after forgiveness, to strive after joy. And I love verses 23 and 24 because I think it's really interesting. He says, man, if you're at church and you're sitting there getting ready to receive communion and you remember that there's a problem, A big problem, pretty radical advice here, is that you leave church and you go and work things out, you be reconciled. What Jesus is teaching is that when you place yourself in a position to work things out, when you're striving after grace, you're striving after reconciliation, you're striving after joy, here's what Jesus is teaching. You'll be amazed by what God does in that process. You'll be amazed by what God does through your striving when you have a conversation and you're able to kind of state your side of things and they're able to state their side of things, something happens in that moment. If you're open to it, something happens in that moment where your heart and your mind can be changed. And I'm not even talking about the other person. I don't know what's going to happen with them. I'm talking to you, right? But something happens. And in that moment, you know what happens? You pack your bags and maybe for the first time in 30 years you move out of Gehenna and into the Marriott. Doesn't that sound good to some of you? But you can't give up. You can't give in. You can't throw in the towel. God wants to do this work. And some of you would say, Steve, what you're saying would never work. Maybe. You might have a point there. It may never work, but I suspect you're saying that because you've never tried it. I suspect you're saying that because you've never tried it. You've talked to others, you've posted on Facebook, you've wrote about it in your journal, but you've never strove toward reconciliation, strove toward grace. And listen, there there are some caveats here that sometimes you need a third person involved. I really, really believe in this. Sometimes you need a a trusted counselor or friend to help navigate some of this. Sometimes the other person doesn't want to, and there's not a thing you can do about that, right? Sometimes the other person doesn't want to, um, and you're just kind of stuck. You're like, well, I I was striving for it, and they're not interested, and there's nothing you can do about that. But I'm telling you what, even in that situation, God's going to do a work in your heart. Because really what we're talking about here is we're not talking about fixing the situation. You know what I've learned after all these years in ministry? And I hope this isn't discouraging. I really don't mean it to be. Um, Some situations for a variety of reasons really aren't fixable. So Jesus is not talking about fixing the situation. You know what Jesus is talking about? Your heart and my heart. The anger and the animosity that we are carrying around living in Gehenna when the Marriott is available. Right? He's talking about our heart. He's not talking about fixing anything. Some things cannot be fixed for a variety of reasons. They can't be. But some things can. And I really believe when you strive toward reconciliation, whatever that looks like, I don't know what that looks like in your situation, when you strive toward reconciliation, when you strive toward grace, when you strive toward what Jesus is teaching, I believe he does a work in your heart and in your mind. So what could this look like? well, I don't know. You're dismissed. No, 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 you're, you're not. I've I'm to, I'm told you. I don't know what it I'm gonna leave that to the Holy Spirit. I have a couple thoughts, um, but I wanna leave your specific situation to him. But I, I'll tell you what I've seen it look like before. I've seen it look like an email. That when you haven't had any contact for a real long time, I've seen it look like, okay, how are you? Uh, send, uh, to, you know, And then you'd turn away from the screen for some reason, right? I'm not even going to look. Send, right? I've seen it look like that. I've seen it look like lunch. I've seen it look like a meeting with a third-party counselor. You know how else I've seen it most often? I've seen it with prayer. It's like, God, I am tired of living in Gehenna. would you show me what to do and show me what to say? I'm tired of living with this. God, would you give me wisdom to show me what to do and show me what to say? I've seen it happen with a lot with prayer. I've seen it happen with a counselor. I've seen it happen with a conversation with a friend. But your situation is unique. Your situation is specific to you. And so there is no you have to do it this way. the Holy Spirit wants to lead you toward grace and really the Holy Spirit wants to do something in your heart the Holy Spirit does so I'm going to leave that to the Holy Spirit and and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us while we receive communion together Um, we are going to celebrate communion here in just a few minutes and it is um, like the greatest reconciliation story there ever has been that God saw how far away we were and he sent his one and only son so that we could be Reconciled to Him, and we're going to celebrate what Jesus did right now. And I just want to have you pray, God. What do you? How am I going to respond to this? What do you want me to do? And just, I want to be like Jesus. I want to pursue reconciliation. I don't want to live in Gehenna. Do something in my heart. And uh, I, I want to. I want us to pray and ask God for direction, and let Him speak to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his forgiveness. Some of us in this room want to let some things go. We know that this is affecting our spiritual, physical, and even emotional health. But Lord, we've held on to it for so long that some of us don't know how to let it go. You do. You do. Would you help us? Would you give us wisdom? Would you help us to move out of Gehenna? We don't want to be there anymore. It is in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You're going to receive... um, communion right now, two cups stacked on top of each other. One has the bread representing Jesus' body. The other has the cup representing his blood. And this is an opportunity to thank him for reconciling us and to then ask him what we talked about this morning. God, help me. I don't know what to do. Help me. And allow him to speak. I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive it together as a church family. Mm.